Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Hey, we're in a series called Rising Above, and the premise of the series is that once Jesus came, died, and was resurrected, once he opened the way for us to have a relationship with the Father, there is a, a way to live that is far exceeding the way the world around us lives. And so we've been spending a few weeks now looking at how Jesus calls us up, how he empowers us to live a different kind of life. Now, you probably noticed as you came in that you don't have an outline this morning. And I'm sorry if that really disconcerted some of you. Um, others that probably found like, uh, you know, like, oh, phew, nobody's, I don't have to listen. Not true. Not true at all. What I want to encourage you to this morning is I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Um, when, when I write an outline, and you'll get an outline next week, I'm writing what I think the Holy Spirit wants you to remember, what I think it's important for you to take home. But as I share with you this morning, I want you to be uniquely attuned to what specifically the Holy Spirit may want to talk to you about. Whenever we, we craft a sermon series, you know, Pastor Bernie and I are asking a couple questions. You know, one of those questions is, what do we need to know as disciples? What do we need to know as Christ followers? Now, the second question is, Lord, what, what do you want to say specifically to our church family? Is there a prophetic word or a particular instruction that you want us to have and sometimes, as I sit to write a message, Jesus says something that sounds a lot like, John, I want to talk to you about something. And in those moments, we're teaching out of what Christ is forming in us. And, and that's what this morning's message is. I'm going to be sharing with you some things that Jesus is beginning to cultivate in my heart, my spirit, and my mind. In fact, I would go up so far as to say I'm going to spend the next 25, 30 minutes preaching to myself Uh, And you're welcome to listen in. And there may be moments as we're talking and I say something and you go, I know who John's talking about. And you add a name. No. I'm not going to be talking about a person or specific people, but I am going to call your attention to a particular type of person or a particular type of people group. Let me show you what I mean. As, as Pastor Bernie and I were, were crafting out this, this series, you know, what does it mean to rise above? One of the phrases that we were kicking around was, be known by your fruit. If you spent any length of time in the church at all, this is probably common language to you, that we want to make sure that the outflow of our life is consistent with what we're saying, that you know people by how they live their lives. But as I, as I, as I started to tackle that this morning, the Lord took me to a particular passage where he uses this language. It's in Matthew chapter 7, and what's unique about this is that in Matthew chapter 7, this is not what Jesus is talking about. The analogy of the, is there about good trees and good fruit, bad trees and bad fruit, but we're not the center of the story. He's actually talking about another group of people. Let me read it to you. It's found in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. How's that for an opening? They come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. There's that analogy. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify 
people by their actions. Jesus isn't talking about you and me in this particular text, is he? Who's he talking about? He's talking about false prophets. Beware of false prophets, he says, who come disguised. The, the, the word is wearing an outer garment. They're wearing the outer garment of a sheep. They look like you, and they look like they belong, but there's something going on inside of them that's very different. It's out of alignment with the kingdom of God, as we'll see in a minute. Um, vicious is a word that's used to describe them. Another one says ravenous, ravenous wolves. This is a warning. This is not a call to a particular lifestyle. So he says, Watch out, beware of false prophets. Beware of people who claim to represent me, but in fact, they don't. What's a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. They hear what God is saying, and they communicate to other people what God is saying. And there is nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's one of the precious promises that God gives us, that we get to live as a prophetic people. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my mouthpieces. You'll be my representatives, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the assignment. This is the invitation uh, of God for us. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, as Peter is trying to explain what's happened on our birthday, the day of Pentecost, he says, listen, the prophet Joel said, you guys were going to prophesy. Your sons and daughters, he says, I'll pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. But in Matthew 7, Jesus is saying, pay particular attention to how someone lives their lives, how a prophet exercises this responsibility or the power that they have, because it will be an indication of whether or not that prophet or that representative is actually from me. So we're supposed to assess whether or not that representative, that prophet, is living out the message that they are proclaiming before we choose to align with them or their message. And Jesus uses some really, really strong language to describe them and what they produce. When he calls them ravenous wolves, understand, he's speaking to an, uh, an agrarian culture. They, they understood farming, and they knew what would happen when a wolf got into a sheep pen. Carnage, mayhem. They leave death and destruction behind them. So Jesus is saying, if we aren't careful to assess who we are listening to, we may find ourselves experiencing great pain, heartache, or even destruction. He's saying, these guys don't want what's best for you. They want what's best for them. And then he goes on to say, but, but it's okay. I mean, don't freak out. Don't get too stressed. There's a way you can tell whether or not a prophet is from me. And the way you can tell is by the fruit, by the outflow of their lives. He says, a good tree produces good fruit. We all go, duh. Then he says a bad tree produces bad fruit. But the language is very interesting. In the original language, Jesus says a corrupt tree produces evil fruit. This isn't, oh, this is good and this is bad. Like, oh, it's bad fruit. We probably shouldn't partake. When he uses the word evil, it's the same word as in lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What's evil? Dallas Willard says this, and then I'll simplify it for us because I need it simple. He said, evil is that which is intent upon the destruction of what is good in human life. It springs from self-idolatry and becomes monstrous. What does that mean? 
It means evil is that which works against the goodness of God in human life. And a corrupt representative will actually be working against the goodness of God in the lives of those to whom they claim to be proclaiming a message of goodness. So when we're trying to assess what's evil and what's not evil, it's a very simple question. Does this work against the goodness of God in human life? Racial inequality, is it evil? Yes. It works against the goodness of God in human life. Sex trafficking, is it evil? Yes. It works against the goodness of God in human life. Gossip? Well, not if it's presented as a prayer request. You need to pray for my brother because, yes, gossip is evil. It is working against the goodness of God in human life. And what Jesus says here is that that rotten, that, that corrupted tree will often represent itself as a beacon of light. So we have to be careful. We have to pay attention. Here's a recap in my words. Watch out for people who claim to speak for me, Jesus would say, but are actually wolves trying to look like sheep. They're destructive. They're there to rob you. You will know them by what their lives produce. If they are good, if they are real sheep, they're going to produce good fruit. But if they are corrupt, if they're rotten on the inside, they will produce a fruit that works against the goodness of God in people. So the warning, guys, be careful who you let speak into your life. Be careful to whom you proclaim allegiance. The last two years, maybe two and a half years, have been some of the most divisive in my lifetime. Some of you who have lived longer lives might say, John, the Vietnam War, that was so much worse. But for me, in my lifetime, these have been some of the most divisive times I have ever lived through. I could name any topic, and people in this room could get into a fight about it. COVID, vaccines, masks, gender, racial equality, economic inequity. Whatever I say, people can argue, because we are already predisposed to fight with one another about something. For some of you, just hearing that list made your blood pressure go. <laughs> Calm down. That's not the topic of this morning. However, in that environment, many people, both inside and outside the church, have claimed to have a handle on absolute truth and have proclaimed it as such. Some of them have even gone so far as to claim to speak on behalf of God. Now, we all have the responsibility to speak on behalf of God. But when someone begins to trumpet something in that way, we should, in the back of our minds, hear Jesus say, watch out, make sure they're actually representing me, and they're not wolves. Because, according to Jesus' definition, if we begin to follow a false prophet, if we align with their teaching, their methodology, or their message, we are then participating with evil. And I don't want to do that. I never want to have a conversation with Jesus where he looks at me and goes, John, would you like to explain to me why you are participating in evil? Why are you resisting the goodness of God in human life. And I, that's not a conversation I ever want to have. It turns out this week, that's a conversation I've been having a number of times. Because as I told you earlier, I'm preaching to myself this morning. 
If only Jesus told us exactly what we should be looking for to make sure we're properly aligned. Turns out he kind of did. But Jesus being Jesus, and I love that he's inviting us into something, not away from something. He doesn't give us a long list of behaviors to avoid. Rather, he begins to paint a beautiful picture of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Instead of describing all of the different bad fruit, he says, let me show you what a fruitful heaven ordained life can actually look like. It's found in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the most profound messages Jesus has ever spoken. And it's interesting to me that the the warning to beware false prophets comes at the end of these seven chapters, these three chapters on what kingdom living is meant to look like. It begins with Jesus healing a crowd of people. The very end of Matthew 4 says, his fame, speaking of Jesus, spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. The context of this teaching is important for us to understand how odd, how at odds his message was with contemporary thought at the time in which Jesus delivered it. First of all, we need to remember that everyone Jesus is talking to when he gives the Sermon on the Mount were social, political outcasts. The people who had come to him were the dregs of society. They were the sick, the oppressed, the isolated, and the demonized. And in that culture, they believed that all of those things were a sign of God's disfavor, that you had sinned, someone in your family had sinned, and so this was judgment that was being visited upon you. And Jesus, in his teaching, begins to invert the understanding of who actually belongs in the kingdom of God. And the very first thing he does is this miraculous move to meet them in their area of need, to heal and restore them. And if we had more time today, I would love to talk about ministering to people's brokenness before we tell them what we think they need to hear. That's a message for another day, but that's the example of our Savior. So after this work of restoration, Jesus begins to identify the broken that he has healed as the people who will be at home in the kingdom of God. And he starts to talk about good fruit. I'm not going to read you three chapters, but I'm going to give you the list that I put together from reading through them. This begins with what we've termed, termed the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And Jesus is talking about those to whom the kingdom of God belongs. These are the people who will feel at home. Their hearts will be at rest in God's kingdom. And he says quite specifically that it's not for the powerful. It's not for the privileged. He speaks of the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, and the humble. He begins the Sermon on the Mount by upending conventional thought about who belongs to God, who is at peace in his kingdom, who he draws close, and who he uses. Dallas Willard calls this the upside-down kingdom. Jesus took the, the power paradigm that the nation of Israel was following, that Rome would have been following, and he turned it on its head. If you and I try to understand the kingdom of God through the lens of the kingdom of this world, we will be misled, we will be discouraged, we will be frustrated, and it will increase the likelihood that you and I are participating with evil. God sees, leads, and does things profoundly differently than the world around us. Which means if we follow a prophet who celebrates the world's power structures, 
someone who is dominant, aggressive, rude, unkind. Though our culture may celebrate that as strength, we are out of alignment with the gospel. We are out of alignment with the kingdom of God. If we allow them to shape our thinking or our behavior, then we're participating with evil because Jesus celebrates the meek, the mild, and the peacemaker. When I was a kid, I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want to follow Jesus because I didn't want anyone to think I was weak. And my Bible study stories told me that if somebody hit me, I had to turn the other cheek. I didn't want to do that. I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to portray this sense of strength. And if, if you got in my face, it was not going to turn out well for you. I was angry. I was aggressive. I was vocal and at times violent because that's the power structure that I had come to know, understand, and appreciate. And as I read the Sermon on the Mount, I hear Jesus say, you had that completely backwards. I celebrate the weak, the meek, and the mild. He goes on. He says, in God's kingdom, people do good to others. This is the passage about being salt and light. Pastor Bernie taught on it not long ago. You're flavoring the world with the goodness of God, not simply the message of God. We're shining light into dark places with the kindness of God, not just the word of God, as important as that is. He goes on to say, in God's kingdom, people choose reconciliation over division. They work for unity rather than allowing themselves to be divided. They don't rail against a particular people group, a particular political party, a a political orientation, or even dispensation. They don't become a mouthpiece of anger because their words are meant to heal. And so they work while they still contend for the truth and the righteousness of God to bring people to a place of unity and healing. They don't blow up Facebook. If you're following a leader who loves to take shots at people on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you are out of alignment with the message of the cross. And by you, I mean me. You is my default word. Forgive me. It's why I started with I'm preaching to me. But do you hear what I'm saying? In God's kingdom, people exercise self-control. In God's kingdom, people value and protect women from being victimized, abused, or cast aside. In God's kingdom, people keep their word. In God's kingdom, people don't hit back. In God's kingdom, people love their enemies. In God's kingdom, people give to the needy without calling attention to themselves. In God's kingdom, people prioritize the kingdom of God over whatever kingdom they're trying to build. This is Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the rest is going to be added unto you. In God's kingdom, people practice humility. In God's kingdom, people make eternal investments. And in God's kingdom, people place their trust in God. In God's kingdom, people make God a priority. In God's kingdom, people judge themselves before they judge other people. This is Jesus saying, before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. They assess their own behavior before they assess the behavior of another. In God's kingdom, people depend on him for what they need. 
In God's kingdom, people care for others. Jesus gives this long and beautiful list about what we're invited into as the children of God. And it's at the end of that list, he says, and now beware of false prophets. The question that we have to ask ourselves, the question I've been asking myself all week, is to whom do we give our allegiance? Who am I allowing to set the trajectory of my life? What leaders do I celebrate? What leaders do I idolize? What leaders do I champion? And do they reflect the kingdom of God as laid out in this list, or do they tickle my ears by saying things that I want to hear? If we follow those who appeal to our natural desires, our carnal desires, we will find ourselves producing fruit that works against the goodness of God in other people. And if I'm honest, it's a struggle. And if it's a struggle for you, you're in good company. Not because it's a struggle for me, but because it was a struggle for the Apostle Paul. There's something in me that really wants to celebrate when someone is in an argument or a debate and they're professing my opinion, my viewpoint, whether it's political, religious, or philosophical. And they're, they're, you can find them on YouTube, you can find them anywhere, and they're in this debate and they begin to just dominate the other person, the person who represents the opposing viewpoint that I don't agree with. You know what it's like? You're watching that and, and there's a zinger and anybody, everybody knows it's a zinger, like, The crowd goes, ooh. There's something to me that goes, get him again. Get him again. And it keeps going, and they get him, and and they're just kind of crushing that other person. I feel so vindicated because my viewpoint is being publicly affirmed. And I've been asking myself, what is it in me that gets so excited when I see that other person lose? And I felt like the Holy Spirit, very kindly and gently, as he always is, said, do you want to know what that thing is? That thing is sin. It's the sin that fails to recognize the imago Dei. It's the sin that fails to recognize the image of God in my opponent. It's the thing that fails to recognize that that person, misguided though they may be, is deeply and profoundly loved by God Almighty. And whenever I celebrate the detriment of an image bearer of God, I am out of step with the kingdom of God. Whenever I celebrate a leader or an athlete or an anything who is is gaining their notoriety by damaging either in reputation or in conversation another image bearer of God, my allegiance is placed in a false prophet because they are not walking out the kingdom of God. Are you hearing me this morning? Do you wish you'd stayed home? We're doing okay. I read the Sermon on the Mount and I realize Jesus has a very different picture of winning than the picture I've been raised to aspire to, than the picture our culture holds of what victory looks like. And then Jesus takes it a step further. I realize if I claim to be a Christ follower, but I find myself celebrating the models, the methods, and the metrics that the world calls winning, that are out of step with what God calls winning, I'm at risk of actually becoming a false prophet myself. And that's a very, very sobering thought for me. 
because I want to be rising above. I want to be who Jesus is calling me to be. I don't want to be reflecting the world back to the world. I want to be reflecting the goodness of God back to the world. But I have learned we will replicate what we celebrate. We will become what we behold. We become like that which we affirm. That's why moments of worship like we've experienced this morning are so profound. Because in the presence of God, as we declare his praises, as we celebrate him together, we become more like him. But when we do that same thing, and I'm going to use the word with a false idol, we become more like that. And so Jesus, in his mercy, paints this beautiful picture of what we can all experience together as people of the kingdom of God. And at the very end, because he knows what's in our nature, goes, watch out. Just be careful. Jesus' victory didn't look like winning. It looked like losing. By every standard the world has, Jesus on a cross looked like losing. Winners don't go to the cross. Winners hammer in the nails. And yet we, looking back from this side of history, understand that what Jesus was demonstrating for us was the power of life in his kingdom. And that when we live in alignment with kingdom principles, miracles can take place, lives can be changed, communities can be transformed. If he had tried to overthrow Rome as he could have as the son of God, what you and I now celebrate would not have been possible. And no one understood it. And Paul explains it this way. Paul kind of goes like, guys, I get it. I get it. Looking at it, it doesn't make sense. He says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are far from God. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, this crazy message of surrender to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. What if Jesus is asking me today to be careful that I don't align myself with a false prophet? What if this morning Jesus is asking me to be careful that I don't, in my own passion or fleshly desires, that I don't become a false prophet. If I can't align my heart, my mind, and my actions with the list that we just went through on the Sermon of the Mount, I am out of alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very gospel I've been called to proclaim. Anyone who professes to speak on behalf of God for righteousness, for justice, which, by the way, are both concepts that God created, not man, and does not live in alignment with the list that we have just gone through. They are out of step with the word of God and the spirit of God and the kingdom of God. I don't want to live out of step with Jesus. I just don't want to do it. But there's this thing in me I know and I recognize that keeps getting drawn that way. What does it mean to be people of the kingdom? It means that we don't, we don't look at the world through the metrics of the world. We don't 
subscribe to their definition of power or success or rightness. But we allow the Spirit of God to judge not only our actions, but our thoughts. Not only our behaviors, but our beliefs. If we're going to rise above and live a life that is truly worth living, you and I have to live it the way Jesus has laid it out. And Jesus said, oh, I wish he didn't, but he did. If anyone would come after me, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus never said, if anyone would come after me, they must make sure to dominate those around them. They must have more power, more authority, more influence than anyone else. It's an upside-down kingdom. And God, again, in his mercy, protects and preserves those who choose to align with him. Scripture says, humble yourself beneath the Lord's mighty hand. Under his protection, under his power to preserve. And it goes on to say, and then he will lift us up. If you and I allow our ears to be tickled by a leader or a message that sounds appealing, but it doesn't look or sound like Jesus, we have a problem. It's appealing to something in us that Jesus would like to die. Our own selfishness or our own pride or even perhaps our own insecurity. And Jesus this morning and every morning hereafter would say, John, will you surrender those things to me? Will you make room for me to move in those areas? Because my ways are higher. It's what he's inviting us into that is so beautiful and profound. It's why he didn't give us a list of don'ts. He gave us a list of possibilities. And says, would you like to live this kind of a kingdom life? Rising above, it begins with surrender. Not, not with overcoming, but but with being overcome by the goodness, the graciousness, the the kindness, the love of God. It's such a paradox compared to the world around us. Humble yourself and be lifted high. Jesus saying, it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. So, back to your sheet. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Are there perspectives or priorities or passions that we need to surrender to come into alignment with God's way of doing things? Are there ways that we view the world that we carry with us, ways of defining success, defining wins that we need to surrender to come into alignment with the gospel? Are there leaders that we've made idols of We're actually wolves in sheep's clothing, working against the goodness of God in people? Do we need to renounce our allegiance to them and surrender afresh to King Jesus? As we turn our hearts back toward worship, say to the Lord, we're going to make room for you to do whatever we want to. If there are those places in your own heart and mind, you may just need to confess them to the Lord as I have this week. Tell him you'll make room for him to do whatever he wants to because his way is better. 
And this Pentecost Sunday, the sweet breath of God, the power of the Holy Spirit will come in and enable you to do what you can't do in your own strength. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.